podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to a weekly podcast made by Miami Dolphin fans for Miami Dolphin fans. Your source for entertaining Dolphin news, insight, and general conversation. Here's your host, Michael Fink. Hey everyone, this is Mike. Uh, the Fin Fans Podcast is part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. All right, uh, today we're going to go over some camp questions and we'll talk about COVID-19 a little bit. I've got with me Jim Johnson. Hello everybody. And Kirk Marks. How's everybody doing tonight? Well, I hope they're doing good. They're all yelling great at the, at the uh, computer or, or phone, whatever they listen on. There you go. That's a positive. Uh-huh. A few people aren't doing great. Uh, three Dolphins are on the reserved uh, list for COVID. Uh, long snapper Blake Ferguson, defensive tackle Benito Jones, and cornerback Cordrea Tankersley have all either tested positive or been around people who have tested positive. So uh, they'll have to uh, pass a couple of tests before they can get into the facility. So that's what we know there. Um, now, the Dolphins did make a trade. Yesterday, they traded for tight end Adam Shaheem uh, from the Bears, and they uh, offered the Bears a conditional seventh-round pick, dependent upon uh, how long Adam stays on the team. So we'll see how that goes. Um, the Dolphins also waived uh, several players. Uh, nobody too significant, I don't think. They uh, waived re- wide receiver Ricardo Lewis, quarterback Jake Ruddock, uh, defensive end Avery Moss, linebacker Trent Harris, and uh, today they waive tight end Michael Roberts. Now, I would think that maybe uh, Ruddock would come back to the practice squad if he's not claimed, but we'll see how that goes. Any thoughts on those guys? Uh, you know, Moss was a bit of a surprise. He he started some games for us last year. He did. But it's not like he, you know, he set the statistics on fire or anything, but he was, he was a fairly solid starter. So that was, that was a bit of a shock to me that they, they moved on from him this early. I don't know that we had a solid starter at defensive end. You know, you saw the rushing yards we gave up and we really didn't have a very significant pass rush. So, well, I thought he, he was a a steadying influence as opposed to a taco Charlton. Uh, I don't think any of the guys they had last year were very good, especially against the run. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, solid was the wrong word. More like consistent. He wasn't. Yeah, yeah, he, he didn't. He didn't take those. You know, have all those bad plays that some of the others did. So no, agreed. Was, uh, either way, I was still kind of surprised that he was cut this quickly. So well, ain't wasting time. <laughs> nope, that's for sure. <laughs> they got to get down, I guess, to eighty players uh, or or somewhere thereabouts uh, to start camp. So. Yep. Um, we had a bunch of questions that were asked. Kirk, let me ask you the first one. This is from Joseph uh, Cusinata. If you assume that Van Noy will have the most sacks uh, because he's familiar with the system, who do you think will have the second most sacks? That's a good question. Without getting them on the field and, and seeing how they're going to scheme with these kind of players, um, you say Van Noy, I think that I think Beagle is going to have a, a good year. Um, uh-huh. But it's it's so tough right now with the way things are going. But if I had to come up with a player, I, I would say that I liked what I saw from him last year, and I think he's that kind of uh, Flores defensive guy, and I, I think that Beagle will have a nice year. What about you, Jim? I got to figure that uh, Ogba or Lawson is going to take advantage of opportunities more frequently than they did last year. Uh, we've got a few more players on defense 
Uh, that's liable to confuse some offensive lines, and uh, I think probably Lawson will be our number two. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting. I mean, you can go a lot of different directions. Uh, they, really, without knowing how much playing time these guys are going to get, you know, it's tough to say. Uh, yeah, it, exactly. And if and if guys are on the on the bench more than we figure, then right, they can't make plays. Right, but I like both your guesses. I think both those guys should factor into it uh, in some regard, anyway. If they're not in the conversation, we're in a world of hurt, right? Exactly. Something, went, with something went wrong. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just think that with the uh, the reason I came up with Beagle was because I think that that defensive line, there's going to be a, a lot of rotation going on in there. And I, I like Beagle. I, I don't know how good a pro he's going to be, but I like him. I, I think he brought some energy to the defense last year. Exactly. There's a little bit of fire there. So. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. He- he made some plays, that's for sure. Uh, the guy I'd like to see make an impact in the pass rush is Van Ginkle, and he's a guy that was brought in here for that very thing and didn't get didn't get many opportunities last year. Well, he didn't play a whole lot last year, so right. we'll, we'll have to see where that goes. Yep. Um, you think if he's healthy, he, he should get more playing time. Chris Atkins asked, uh, do you think it's wise or is it a good idea to offer long, high-dollar contracts? Uh, regardless of the position, due to issues we have with the virus and socially. I mean, revenue will be horrible on many levels, in his opinion. That's a question that I'm going to answer here. You know, you don't want to give out a whole bunch of high-dollar contracts simply because there are going to be ramifications with the camp. Uh, So anything that you give out that's expensive, you're going to have to take away from somewhere else. But that's generally the case anyway. But there are anticipating the cap is going to be lessened by at least uh, $25 million next year. Now, right now, Miami's not in a position where that's really going to hurt them, but if they go ahead and and give a lot of upfront money to players, they're going to be in a different situation to where they're going to have to, you know, get rid of other players that they might rather not get rid of. So they're going to have to be careful is what I'm saying. You guys want to add anything to that? Any of those big long-term contracts – are always a risk. You know, we signed Jones to a big deal a few years back and and that didn't pan out very well. So anytime you 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 do one of those big contracts on a, over a long period of time, you're extending yourself a little bit. So they're obviously something you want to be careful with anyway and with the salary cap concerns, it's it's got to be an even bigger concern. So I agree with that, especially like like Jim said with the cap right now. Um, and the way that we're finally doing the contracts the right way by not pushing the money out and pushing it out and pushing it out and getting in trouble, try to get it in the beginning of the contract so that you don't put yourself through, you know, salary cap hell. It's, it's, it's tough right now because we don't know if there's going to be fans. We don't know the revenue and you got to be real careful. But if you want to, you know, if there's somebody they really have a conviction on, on our team or something that they want to lock up, you know, they got to work something out, but. It's not really the time to do it. It's a it's a bad time as far as player contracts go. Will asked us, uh, what is our projection for Tua for this season and beyond? And uh, Jim, you want to handle that? Well, this is one I'm going to need to refer to my crystal ball on. You know, we see we get these questions asked constantly about these first round draft pick quarterbacks. Uh, especially the ones in the first top 10, you know, is this the next, you know, John Elway or Jim Kelly or Dan Marino or Steve Young or what have you? Russell Uh, Wilson in his case. (laughs) Yeah, Russell Wilson, yeah. Uh, This, 
you know, the optimist in me says, you know, he's going to come in at some point this season and he's going to shine. He's going to look composed and he's going to get things done with the football. But sometimes guys just don't translate to the NFL. So until I see it, boy, as far as projections go, that's that's tough. That's a tough call right there. I, I you know I just got to kind of wait and see with Tua. Well, no doubt everybody knows Tua's my guy. You I'm think? very excited that they got him, but I'm also smart enough to know that without these preseason games and without these practices that they need, that offensive line is going to be an issue until it's not an issue. And I don't <laughs> see any reason to have to rush this guy in when we have Fitzpatrick and his old coordinator to get this thing started. I, I definitely want to see Tua play at some point during the season, but it, it's kind of hard to say how he's going to do until we get to that point because there's so many unknowns going on right now that that's a real tough question to answer. But I would think that when he does get in, I do expect him to you know, excite us a little bit. I'm hoping. I'm hoping to see a little bit of that it factor that, that, that we talk about. And uh, the only way to answer that question is to say that time will tell. Yep. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I mean, we can speculate, you know. I mean, the, the guy has everything you look for. He's got a good arm. He's got uh, mobility. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's mature beyond his years. So all those things are working for him. Now the team has to put him in the right position to be successful. And we'll see what happens. Will also asked, uh, in our opinion, what's the strongest position on the team, the most depth, the least amount of depth, and where could we improve? Well, we kind of, we kind of covered this last week, but yeah, uh, you did you did you did cover it last week. You guys were talking about uh, some of the weakest spots, and and I didn't respond to the the weakest spot because I think that with all the defensive linemen that we have now, if we get a good rotation out of these guys, and we did upgrade, uh, I'd say our strongest part of the team would be our defensive line that's interesting um you don't think it's wide receiver nah because they're you know what i would say wide receiver if i knew that preston williams was going to come back and be okay after that knee injury he's a big he's a big part of that if if i know he's coming back healthy and going to do what he did then i absolutely i would say wide receiver but with that unknown I, and I I'd, I'd like right to now. think running back looks pretty good too, uh, but you know you can say, well, we still have a couple of guys that we have questions about. But I think the top two guys are, are pretty uh, good. Uh, we'll see. Just got to hope that Howard stays healthy. Now, where do we have the least amount of depth? You know, last week Lou said tight end, and then the Dolphins went out and they made a trade for a tight end. So, uh, but they went ahead and they cut Michael Roberts. So we're really still in the same situation. I mean, they may have improved that one spot in their opinion, but I still think they need some depth. Yeah, as far as the TE goes, I mean, we just picked this this new fella up for a seventh round, a conditional seventh round pick. So. You know, we're not getting a cream of the crop uh, tight end right there. So, you know, it's a lateral move one to the other. And, you know, beyond Gazicki, we don't have much as far as the TE position well, they, goes. They have to believe it's an upgrade, right? Or they wouldn't have made the move. So they got to feel he's going he's giving them something that Roberts wasn't going to be able to give them. Now the question is, will he, will he unseat Smythe? That's really the question. Yeah, yeah, and he was a, a second-round pick, uh, so there is some unfilled potential there, and he was injured. So if he can get healthy and uh, reach some of that potential, then it could be a great deal. Uh-huh. Now, here's a question I love. Mark Rutherford asked, is bigger better? 
The O-line increased in size, but will this equate to success? Can I start with that? Sure. I, <laughs> as many times that we were, we've been bullied around by more physical, bigger teams, I, I have to f- say that, especially on the offensive line, that bigger is better. Because at the very least, these big guys are going to clog some stuff up. And we, we got to get to a point where we're going to be a physical football team. And we can't, we tried to do it with finesse with smaller guys that were quicker and things like that, and it didn't work. So we always get bullied around by the Steelers and the Ravens and teams like that. So I I would definitely say, in my opinion, that bigger is definitely better. Well, when you think bigger, you think slower, and that's not always true. Sometimes you can find a big guy who can run, and I really think that should be the objective. Um, You know, because they've got to move a little bit, especially, you know, your guards. They've got to get out in front of plays and uh, uh, have to have have some mobility to them, which which makes me question whether the kid from Georgia is going to have success. But we'll see. My my answer to this would be, you know, the question is, is bigger better? Well, did you watch last year's offensive line? How how can we not be a little bit better this year? We've got exactly. all we've got all these new additions. Yes, they could be a little bit slower, but at least they should be able to open up some running lanes. I would think. Just well, listen, by, if, they, if they're slower and they pancake the guy in front of them, that's it, just fine. That's that's <laughs> what I'm saying. You know, because that 1.9 yards per carry thing that we had last year was just completely unacceptable. So, yes, I feel uh, the line has got to be better this year. All right, Jim, I have a question for you. Uh, Darren asks, what would you have done differently from Greer and company if you were making the calls? As far as the draft or basically everything that's, that's been done That's the question. So I'm assuming as much as we know about Greer and uh, Flores, what would you have done different maybe that they did? Well, there was some picks that I wasn't in love with per se. But you can analyze a draft draft choices to death, and and I don't have the information in front of me that that Greer and Flores do. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and profess to be uh, smarter about some of these decisions than what they are. I mean, I I don't have to like everything that they do. Um, you know, you know, going back a bit, I think they mishandled Minka Fitzpatrick. But other than that. Um, I gotta, I gotta endorse most everything that they've done. The, the draft went fairly well. They held tight. They got a, they got a top quarterback at number five, and and you know they picked the guys that they wanted. And you know I see upside to all of the picks. That's, Why do you think they mishandled Minka? Well, I should say, how do you think they mishandled? Well, it seems to me that they could have maybe communicated a little bit better with him sooner to potentially put the fire out before it got really going. And and that's, do we know? Do we know that they didn't? Well, the, the, and this—that's like the one thing that that I don't grasp how it got so ugly. Uh, you know, I'm not saying Minka wasn't at fault. I'm just wondering that uh, how something couldn't have been handled better sooner. But let uh, me tell you what I think happened. And I can't, you know, I don't know this to be true. So it's just speculation on my part. But what I think happened is Minka was used to playing in one spot and they asked him to move. And he tried it for a game or two and didn't have a lot of success doing it and felt like it was going to hurt his value. 
So he went to the coaches and said, hey, you know, I don't like this and I, I want out of here. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think it escalated from there. And, and that's what I think happened. I, I think it was, you know, totally a situation that the coaches could not have foreseen. Um, yeah. Because remember, when, you know, when he was drafted, he was saying all the right things, you know. Oh, one, yeah, of my, he, one of my advantages is versatility. Well, right, you right. know. Yeah, we, we saw how that played out. And another thing is he, he was used to winning and winning and winning. I think in his collegiate career, they only lost a half a dozen games or something yep. ridiculous. Yep. And he, he was having a hard time swallowing that and kind of being a little bit of a scapegoat in a few situations where his his play wasn't ideal, where it looked like he wasn't 100% into it. So uh, I just think it, it was a whole host of things. Uh, you know, it just wasn't a fit. But yeah. e either way, it seemed to me like something could have been smoothed out sooner somehow. I, I can't imagine how, because I don't think they had the time to do that. But you might be right. Who knows? Neither one of us were there, you know. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you asked what what I yep. would have done different, and yep. and that's what I would have tried to you work on. You would have jumped on it sooner if you, if you knew there was a problem. Maybe. Who knows? All right, Nick Reese asked, uh, how good will Chan Gailey be after uh, being out of it for a few years? Is he drawing a check, or is he 100% in? Kirk? I think that, that it's more than drawing a check. I think he's 100% in. I'm just uh, not sold on him being out of the game for as long as he's been out of it. And I'm not sure I, you guys would, you know, you'll probably pull the number up how many years it's been. Um, well, we know he was, I think in it in 17, right? Yeah. So we got, we got an older guy. He's got a lot of knowledge. He might come in here and settle things down the way Flores wants it. Um, I just, I just don't know how well he's going to do. I mean, Fitzpatrick did play for him. So, he will know that part of the offense, which is going to help. Uh, I don't necessarily like what I heard about him not utilizing tight ends, but I also realized that what really all-star tight end did he actually have? Exactly. So, you know, that, that shoots that argument out the window. But like you always tell me, Mike, I'm the optimist. So he's a good name. I actually liked, I was really surprised last year when they got rid of the coordinator that they had, because even though there's a lot of confusion and stuff going on, you know, it, uh, it did. He they did respond. They couldn't run. Yeah, they couldn't run the ball, but they didn't have a line either or running backs to do it. You know, uh, if you're the coach, you're expecting your offensive coordinator and the people under him to, you know, be successful. And if they couldn't run, he wasn't successful. So that's how you know that's how the coach is going to look at it. So he's going to try and find somebody who can teach run blocking better, and uh, you know, you you upgrade upgrade the team both in knowledge and uh, experience you know they, they were talking that the offense was too complicated for the team and who knows you know I mean I don't know how complicated it was but uh, the Patriots seemed to run it okay now is that because Brady was there so many years and knew it or is it because the players were able to grasp it who knows you know but uh, I think personally that that Chan Gailey is is going to fit this offense like a glove. And the reason that I say that is because he had experience with Fitzpatrick for at least two or three years. And uh, the offense that he runs with the, the um, uh, read option and all that other stuff is right up to his alley. So whichever quarterback is in there, I think he's going to be able to, 
you know, scheme for him. So I, I think that uh, it's going to be a good fit. And I don't know why you would think that he would not be into it if, if he came back to coach. I mean, you know, I think you give him the benefit of the doubt, don't you? Yeah, you do. And it, yeah, was, I, it was the Jets and the Bills, right? Yes. Now, if he comes in and the offense stinks and everybody's terrible and, you know, Fitzpatrick's throwing six interceptions, okay, then we got to say maybe something's wrong with the offensive coordinator. So we'll see. Um, Elma asks, does Fitz start again? Will Rosen rise up? Will the Chan Gailey scheme work well with these two and especially Tua? Well, I sort of just answered that. So um, I do think it's going to work with Tua because he has experience running what Tua likes to run. So uh, Darren Terrace asked, since the start of the rebuild, who do you see as a cornerstone player? And are there any surprising pieces? Well, it's early, but I'm going to say uh, Wilkins is going to be a cornerstone piece in the middle of the defense uh, up front. I would say Godshaw, but I'm I'm concerned that he's going to price himself out uh, for his next contract. From there, I mean, Xavier Howard, if he comes back healthy, that's going to be another cornerstone piece that's going to anchor your defense. Uh, from there on offense, man... Not a lot of standout pieces. If Devontae, well, it's Devonte- going to be Tua, doesn't it? Well, yeah, but I can't call him a cornerstone if he hasn't thrown a pass yet. So, uh, yeah, that's remained to be seen. Uh, you know, if Devontae Parker continues to play like he did last year, I mean, that's a major piece of the puzzle. Uh, but as far as other cornerstone pieces, uh, we've got some intriguing rookies, including Tua and. If he's as good as as he's supposed to be and stays healthy, then obviously he's going to be one of our biggest cornerstones for a long time. My cornerstones are that since we locked him up, uh, Byron Jones is going to be a cornerstone for this team. Um, I'm going to say our tight end, even though he can't block, but he really showed me something. Gasicki. Gasicki. Mm-hmm. Yep. Obviously for me, it's going to be Tua because I think that I, I just, I believe in him. So, if I'm going with my beliefs, then I, I'm definitely going to say him because I've been pounding the table for him. That's it. You're so, building a house and you're starting with him. Yep. I'm going to, yep. Because it's been so long since we actually had the opportunity to get a guy like that. Hopefully, you know, he's exactly what we thought he was. So, and uh, as far as that offensive line, I think that this, this uh, Robert Hunt is going to step in there and do something. So do I. So he's just, he's big, he's aggressive, he's mean. I mean, he's still got to get out there and he's got to do his thing. But as far as our our line goes, I I actually like him better than I do Austin Jackson. So we'll see. I don't think you're alone in that. It's just because he wants to end people on the field. So, you know. You got to like that. I I know it. I just love it. It's awesome. (laughs) Jim, I remember laughing when you said that that time, when we we had read that when we were going over those offensive linemen. How do you not like a guy that comes out there and says that? Yeah, I know. I mean, if he can, if he can execute that stuff on the field, then uh, you know that's you, you got to have a certain amount of meanness in the trenches. And uh, if if we got an offensive lineman that can get it done, uh, that that'll be an awesome thing to watch. We haven't seen that in a number of years. Yeah, not since Bullygate. Yeah, say all you all want, right. but in, incognito could get it done on the offensive line. Yeah, I love them. I love yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Darren Terrace asks, uh, with the recent news of the Jets trading Adams, what's your thoughts on Gase as a coach? 
the culture he brings with him, and why does he always seem to alienate his superstar players? Well, we all know the superstar players generally have big egos, and when you have a coach with a big ego, you're going to have a clash. And I think that's the answer to that question. Our thoughts on him as a coach? Well, so far he's been unsuccessful. So until he's until he can figure out a way to be successful, you kind of have to look at him as a bust. But we'll see. Time will tell. You guys agree with that or have a different thought? Pretty much. That's that's pretty much spot on. I mean, he just wanted a max contract. And to be honest with you, the Jets got two first-round draft picks. So, uh, you know, I would have traded him away as well. Yep. As far as the coach goes, if, you're, if your team doesn't believe that, that you're leading them right or you have their back, at some point it's going to break down and you're going to lose your culture and you're going to lose your chemistry and – all right, I understand Adams is I, I I label him as one of those diva guys also. But the problem is this, if and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, Gaze doesn't take the blame for anything. Yeah, if he, he would does, step he up and go, not. that's you know, that's my fault. Yeah, we'll get it fixed or whatever the case may be, but not throw the blame on everybody else but himself. His ego is way too big for his own self and and that's what hurts him. And and the players see that and if they don't think you have their back, then you're not going to get 100% out of them. Yep. Yeah, when when you start throwing in uh stuff about players not knowing the playbook and stuff like that in in uh interviews uh Well, you know, yeah, exactly. Whose job is it to teach them the playbook? It, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, players uh and especially millionaire players that don't need that kind of grief from a boss, uh they're going to look for a new job. So, it's uh you know, if like you said, Mike, if you got two big egos together, it's, you know, there's going to be an issue at some point. Yep. You know, to me, okay, is is I have a position coach. Let's just hypothetically say a running back isn't learning the system. Well, your running back coach has to ensure that this back is getting what he needs to learn it. If that means I got to use flashcards every day with him, then that's what I got to do. That's up to the position coach to make sure he learns it. It's up to the offensive coordinator to make sure the position coaches are doing their jobs. It should never come back to be the player's fault. Agreed. So that's not, just my, not, in a pu- not in a public meeting. No, not in an after game interview right. and all that. You, you can't throw your guys, your teammates under the bus. Right. If there's a problem with the player, you deal with it in private. Exactly. Uh, whose seat just got hotter with the uh, Sheehan acquisition? Uh, where do you see him fitting in? Thoughts on the move? That was asked by Darren. Um, we did cover that a little bit earlier. I mean, it's him and Smythe. I think that's, that's your competition right there. I don't think that... Uh... I don't. I don't think that. I think we're still going to have Smythe. Let me just say that um, uh-huh. the Sheehan guy he got drafted in the second round. The only reason they let him go with all those tight ends is because he wasn't working out. So basically, Chicago's saying this guy's a bust, and they're letting him go because it wasn't a money issue because he's still on his rookie contract. Right. Well, um, we know there were seven tight ends they liked better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to yeah, say so. they had a whole boatload of tight ends, so. You know, and and he'd been injured quite a lot, and you know, you you cut your weakest link when you're doing these things, and uh, obviously we're not getting a top tier tight end. So uh, I mean, well, Smythe- well, if you're Miami, you're saying, well, you know what, this guy hasn't had a chance to develop because he's been hurt. Maybe we can get him healthy and uh, develop him. You know, you're looking at it from the opposite view. You know, so. 
there's got to be things about him they like. I mean, he's able to go up and get the ball. He's a big kid. So, I mean, you know, you look at him and you say, okay, this guy's a tight end. So, he, you know, he looks the part. Now he's got to play the part. Yep. Now, this one member asked this question. Uh, here's one that I'm curious about. How will the big money veterans respond to the runs to the TNT wall? I say Kirk, they buy in. You say they buy in, huh? Yeah, they're going to buy in because if it hasn't, if it's being run anyway, the way that he ran that in New England, it's team first, not player. Right. So the TNT wall did show last year, penalty wise, that it did work. And if the veterans don't buy in and do it, and the rookies see that, then that culture is shot. That's not going to work. But anybody that's on that team is going to have to run that TNT wall if he runs that, and they're going to have to believe in it, and they're going to have to show these rookies that this is the way to go. All right, Jim, you asked that question. What do you think of Kirk's answer? I think it's pretty solid, really. I I kind of thought about it a little bit more after I posted that question. And if, you know, we also talked about Greer and Flores and what we think of what they've been doing and, you know, draft right. picks and so forth. So if they're building the team with the caliber of players that they're wanting, then there shouldn't be any excuses for somebody that goes off the map. So, you know, these are guys they've handpicked. Uh, they paid Byron Jones a, a giant contract and, and they've signed Xavier Howard and some of these others to, to big deals. So if they're not on board and and bought into the system it's going to be a problem either way so uh i just thought about it before you know when you you start bringing some of these overpaid prima donnas in and you tell them to run to the wall because they made a boo-boo you know that may not fly that well sometimes jim let me yeah, ask well, you this with that with that question um some of these players that they brought in that they paid this money to character wise don't you think that they're they're bringing them in to be character leaders for these young kids? Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, they handpicked these guys, so they should have the you know the integrity and the character that they're looking for to to not be a problem with the system that they work that they run. So I'm hoping that that things work out as they planned, and and there isn't a mutiny of sorts. You know, during these practices, not not that we're going to have many practices. <laughs> Will they have any practices? Uh, I don't know at this point. <laughs> you saw what happened on the Marlins, and uh, the Phillies are now stranded. <laughs> uh huh. So we we we've got we got to see uh, what happens with the uh, Dolphins and how that you know they've already got a couple of players that are in some way involved with the COVID. So right, and and I've seen people that are like shocked that people have already tested positive, and I'm. And I'm like, why does that surprise you? You know, Florida is, you know, they, they've still got increasing case numbers. So well, it, right it, now it's the epicenter. Yep. It's, uh, you know, it is what it is. And you know, we're just going to have to follow the protocols and see what happens. Well, it's going to be, the NFL is going to be hard pressed to uh, get all this settled and uh, figure out a way to keep everybody healthy because... <laughs> You got a bunch of young people that are going to kind of want to do things their own way, you know. <laughs> That's generally what happens in uh, training camp and on off days and, you know. So we'll have to see. Um, you guys have anything else you'd like to add tonight? Not just that, uh, like you, you said about the, the, the Marlins. The Marlins actually played the Phillies up here in my neck of the woods. Yes. And just to see that many players, what was it, was it eight players with staff or something? Yeah, I think it was eight um, players and a couple of coaches. 
Yeah, and a couple of coaches. Now, when they got up here for a three-game series, these guys just pe- tested positive now. It's, you know, they played those three games, and it was, you know, there's Philly staff in, in, the, uh, in the opposing team's dugout and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a scary moment because when you equate that to the NFL, like you guys were saying, how's that going to work when we have uh, 53 active players on the sidelines and they're all out there battling and, and, and there's all that contact and, you know, what's, there's a lot of ifs. Like, what happens if your quarterback has it or, you know, your, your key players have it? It's, it's at what point do they not – they decide not to even do this? Do they, do they start games and then, and then you forfeit some games? Or, you know, it's, a, it's such an unknown right now what's going to happen. It is. And my concern is fairness. You know, what happens if one team has their cornerback center and left tackle out, you know? How, how are they going to compete, you know? So, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be tough. That's all. But uh, I think it can be done. The question is, are the players going to want to sacrifice what they need to sacrifice to do it? And obviously, that's some of their freedoms. We'll have to see. Yeah, it's going to be a wait and see type of thing, I believe, because it's, uh, you know, every everything is up in the air. You know, governments, state, local, federal governments, everybody's up in the air and making making decisions by the seat of their pants. So, yep. uh, you know, it's, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see how things boil out. Agreed. Let me ask you guys this, because I wanted to, I had written it down. Um, okay. The one thing I was wondering about was like, now I see that some teams are saying they're not going to have any fans at all. Some right. teams are going to have limited fans. And with the baseball thing, if you guys noticed, they're, they're pumping in this fan, this fan sound. Right. You know, they got an audience uh-huh. going on. If you're going, and this, is, this all relates to home field advantage and stuff like that, uh, if we go to another stadium and, you know, they have limited fans, like if we were to play the Ravens this year and they only have 15,000 fans. Right. At, at what point or what, how high do you think that they'll be able to pump that fan sound in to disrupt the other team? You know what I'm trying to get at? Because if yes. you come to like yes. New York's or the Giants or the Jets, they're not going to have any fans there. So how, long, how loud is that noise going to be able to get? to disrupt that other team to give you some kind of home field advantage. Well, I'm how sure they, when you go to New England, it'll, it'll be louder than a jet airplane. Yeah. But how do they equal, <laughs> how do they equal the advantage? Like, you know, to make it yeah. a, a, a fair, a fair ground playing ground for both teams. That's a good question, Kirk, you know, because you know, that sound levels are all dictated by how much money you spend to, to build that sound. So you know, I would think they'd have to have some sort of decibel limit or something, but that's what I would think. You know, be it whatever the number is, uh, they would have to cap it how much noise they could make as a you know crowd simulation, or else you know they could just put speakers everywhere and blast the other team. You know, so I think they would have yeah, to have. I, some I sort also of- think that teams are better equipped to handle sound than they used to be. I, I don't think it's as big a problem as some people might think. Unless we go to New England and they turn it all the way up. <laughs> well, well, the problem, they'll find problem a, with New England is we'll find a snowplow on the field. Yeah, yeah they'll, exactly. <laughs> they'll find a loophole to jump through. Don't worry. Yeah. So anyway, all right, guys. Thanks for joining me this evening, and thanks for listening, everybody. Until next week, fins up. Fins up, everybody. Fins up. All right, so that's our show for this week. I just want to remind everyone that the Fin Fans podcast is part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. 
Podcast Network.